the appropriate application this evening for you and for me is to look around you and to rejoice that everyone here who is a Christian has been made alive together with Christ by the same gospel that has saved you. This is Timeless Truth Today, and I'm your host, Matt Williams. Welcome to part five of By Grace Through Faith from Pastor Paul Twiss. In taking his congregation through the Apostle Paul's epistle to the Ephesian church, this program today will look at chapter two, verses four through seven. We've asked Pastor Paul to join us on mic today, so welcome, Pastor. I think you're gonna be giving us a perspective on these verses that's rarely brought to the surface. Sure, I'm keying in on the unity of the believers and treating these verses as they were originally written, that is, to the church plural, as opposed to individual believers. The pronouns are plural, we and us. We are a community of saved people. So if we think of these verses as if they only apply to me, myself, it's as if to say verses 4, 5, and 6 are mine and mine alone. We're effectively dividing what God unites. Matt, while we're together, please remind our listeners that we have a change coming. That's right. On Monday, October 3rd, the name of this program will change from Timeless Truth Today to Beholding Christ. Same program, same time, different name. You'll find us online then at beholdingchrist.org. That's beholdingchrist.org. Here now, part five of our series, By Grace Through Faith. By grace you have been saved. He picks up the thought and he says, and God raised us up with him, Christ, and seated us with him, Christ, in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So Paul is now explaining further the realities of the gospel for us. Notice that sharp contrast. We were dead in our trespasses. That was the domain in which we existed. We could not leave it. We couldn't get away from it. But now we've been made alive together with Christ. And those two words, with Christ, undoubtedly invoke the whole in Christ motif. It is in Christ and with Christ and through Christ that we are believers this day. Through his life, death, and resurrection, by faith in him, we now enjoy newness of life with him. And what is particularly interesting is that that word, one word in the original, to be made alive together with, the Greek language is so wonderfully efficient. One word in the original, alive together with, it's a word, a verb that Paul has made up. It doesn't exist anywhere else. It is only found here in Ephesians and one other time in Colossians, also written by Paul, you cannot find it anywhere else in the Bible, far less anywhere else in all of the Greek literature that we have available. Paul finds cause 
to make a new word to speak about the wonders of the gospel. We have been made alive together with Christ. This is a unique privilege that cannot be claimed by anyone, no matter what their belief, in so much as they stand outside of the domain of the gospel. And notice it is not restricted to that one idea to be made alive together with but we were made alive with him. Verse 6, we were raised with him, and then again we were seated with him. Now here's what's even more interesting about Paul's thought as you survey the with verbs in his writings, and there are many of them, many of these with verbs, things happening with Christ, they are usually restricted to speak about end-time salvation. Paul is very fond of the with verbs, but he normally uses them to speak about our final glorification. So in Romans 8, just by way of example, he says we are co-heirs with Christ. That's just one example. Again, it's one verb, one word in the original, and it's speaking about an end time reality. But here, Paul says we are made alive with him, raised up with him, and seated with him, not speaking about final realities yet to be realized. These are present day realities for every Christian. This evening, you are alive with Christ. This evening, you have been raised up with him to newness of life. This very evening, in a way that perhaps we cannot fully comprehend, we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Paul is probing here that wonderful doctrine of the Christian life where we understand the eschatological final blessings of salvation history to have come to us now. This would have been incomprehensible to the Old Testament Jews who kept reading their scriptures and they kept looking forward to the final day of salvation history when a a manifold treasury of blessings would be unleashed upon them and then you get to letters like Ephesians and Paul says you have them right now. The gospel has brought them near. You participate in these blessings right now. You've been made alive with Christ, raised up with him, and seated with him. And as you understand and ponder and consider this reality of the Christian life, that we are partakers now of final salvation day blessings, You understand that in a sense, we could say there is a portion of us already residing in glory. As we work through the doctrine of the Holy Spirit in chapter 1 of Ephesians, something that I said a few times is that it's as if we have a portion, a slice of heaven inside of us. God has deposited the Holy Spirit within us as a seal of our salvation and as a guarantee of our inheritance. That's what Paul says in chapter 1. And it's as if we have a portion of heaven residing in us now. Well, this evening, we could say in like manner, it is as if there is a portion of our spirits, our souls, found place in glory right now. 
This is why the Christian understands intuitively that this life is not his home. This world as it stands today is by no means our home. From the moment of your new birth in Christ, the moment of your salvation, you intuitively understand you are an alien and a stranger in this world. You don't belong here. And indeed, the Holy Spirit gives you deep and persistent longings for glory. The Christian who is walking in step with the Spirit, who is attuned to God's grace, has deep and persistent longings for heaven. Groanings that are too deep for words and so often overflow within us and give us such joy because we know this life is not the sum total of God's plan for us. We have wonderful Longings inside us towards a better reality that are a very gift of the gospel. Now, if I said to you this evening, do you think you are the only Christian who has ever lived that has experienced those longings? I hope that you would laugh at me. Do you suppose you are the only Christian who has ever lived, who has ever felt anything akin to what you feel when you yearn for Christ's return and the inauguration of his kingdom and the ushering in of the new heavens of the new earth, are you the only Christian to feel those things? And you would laugh and say, I have no idea what would prompt you to ask that question. The reason is this. So often, as we allow expressions of disunity to creep in amongst us, we effectively behave as if we are on a tier above those against whom we hold a grudge. We behave in such a manner so as to say those Christians who I don't see eye to eye with on everything, that I'm not truly united with, that I am not choosing to love, It is as if I have a special status in Christ that they don't have. Now, I don't imagine for one minute you would ever, ever say such things. But you have to understand every expression of disunity in the local church portrays such sentiments. Your behavior is speaking those truths. As if to say, verses 4 and 5 and 6 are mine and mine alone. Or at the very least, they are shared by a group of us, but not shared by him or by her. I am choosing to treat them differently. I am refusing to run towards expressions of unity and love and affection and laying down my life for them. Therefore, I am saying in some way, I am privileged in my status in Christ above them. That is the reality of disunity within the local church. The local church is supposed to be a picture of heaven. The world is supposed to look in on us and see something remarkably and radically different. It is supposed to be a taste of 
heaven that you cannot find outside of these four walls save in another local congregation. And by not pursuing unity with the utmost zeal, with the utmost fervency of spirit, you are portraying something different about the gospel and about the hope that we have in Christ. And so, as Paul is meandering and working towards this exhortation for unity in the church in Ephesus, the appropriate application this evening for you and for me is to look around you and to rejoice that everyone here who is a Christian has been made alive together with Christ by the same gospel that has saved you. That everyone here who is a Christian has been raised up with Christ just as you have. And that everyone here who is a Christian so also in some ways seated with Christ in the heavenly places just like you. And a proper meditation on those truths compels you towards love and unity in the local church. Well, Paul is not finished there. He goes on to say one last thought, verse 7. Again, it is critically important that we give attention to the small, perhaps seemingly incidental words, so that Paul is giving the reason that God, who is love, acted so as to raise us up and seat us with Christ, verse 7, so that, in order that, because the reason he did these things is that in the coming ages, referring to that final horizon of salvation history, in the coming ages, God would show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Now just ponder that with me for a minute. Paul has said the reason God has acted in this way is so that in the future there will be a fuller manifestation of his grace towards us. Or a fuller recognition of his grace towards us, which is at times difficult to conceive. When we gather together on a Sunday, it is wonderful to stand here at the front because I benefit from the many, many voices that are singing in this direction. And there are times when I can't sing. There are times frequently when I stop singing because my heart is overjoyed at your singing. I will frequently stop singing and simply bask in the glory of your praise towards our God. And in that moment, I give thanks for you and I give thanks for God's grace in our lives. And so there is each and every Sunday a wonderful acknowledgement of his grace towards us. We're a loud church and I give thanks for that. And each and every time we sing, there is an acknowledgement of his grace towards us. And at times I wonder, how could we possibly acknowledge your grace even more than we are right now? And yet somehow Paul tells us there is coming a day when there will be a greater acknowledgement 
of the riches of his grace that has come towards us through Christ. At the day of our consummation, when our salvation is consummated, we will see yet more fully his grace towards us in Christ. We will grow as if it were possible in our understanding of just how kind God has been to us. Now, earlier this evening, we read from Revelation chapter 5, which depicts something of that day. Linking those two texts together now, we read in Ephesians that there's a day coming when the manifold riches of God's grace will be more fully apprehended by the saints. In Revelation 5, we read of that day when the saints are gathered around the throne and they are all singing praises to Christ. And so just meditate on that thought for me again as you think upon the reality of Christ's return and the consummation of salvation history, my guess is that all too often you think about those realities in a very individualistic manner. We commend you to ponder the blessed hope each and every Lord's Day in the evening. Set your mind to the return of Christ. And I wonder when we do that, just for a few seconds, where your heart goes. My guess is often it goes towards the reality of Christ's return as it relates to you and you alone. Yet another indication of just how individualistic is our Christianity. And as we were thinking about this morning, the New Testament and the Old Testament commends us towards a corporate working out of our faith. We are each individually saved as we individually put our faith in Christ and then we are brought into the body and we are told to work out our salvation and, uh, with fear and trembling to be sanctified arm in arm. Well, so also as you set your mind on the return of Christ, allow your thoughts to be broadened to think about the return of Christ as it relates to his bride. Picture and meditate upon his glorious appearing, not only as it relates to you, but so also as it relates to your neighbor, the person sat beside you this evening. Think about the return of Christ as it relates to the body. And now think upon that glorious reality and again ask a good question of the text. Namely, as thousands upon thousands are gathered around Christ's throne and singing to him with cleansed hearts, how did your neighbor get there? You know how you arrived there by grace and grace alone. How have you found yourself in that glorified state by grace and grace alone? How did your neighbor get there? You think this person got there by a different means? You think that person who you keep your distance from on a Sunday morning that you choose not to speak to, that you are willing to hold a grudge against, got to glory by a different means? You think they've experienced a different path by which they are now around the throne with you? See, if it weren't for the fact that Christ is going to deal with all of our sins in an instant, I think that day might be a day of great embarrassment. 
Because now we stood beside a brother or a sister that for some reason we were willing to live alongside of and yet in such a manner that we were not portraying a sense of real unity. You persisted in disunity and now you're stood beside them in glory. Shame on you. But Christ will deal with our sins gloriously in an instant. And so there we are beside them and just ponder with me as you set your mind towards that last day, how did they get there exactly the same way that you arrived? And so as you think about these wonderful realities that Paul compels us towards, one of the reflexes of your heart should be toward unity in the church. One of the impulses of your soul as you meditate upon the glorious gospel made effective for everyone here who is indeed a Christian is love towards your brothers and your sisters in Christ. However it may be accomplished, you lay down your life for the benefit of those whom God has brought you into community with. And as we strive for unity... And as we refuse to allow any expression of disunity, understand that your joy will increase. Your testimony to a watching world will be strong and God will be greatly glorified. Let's pray to close. Father, we give you thanks this evening that we have such a great common salvation. There is a sense in which every single Christian has the same testimony. We were all sinners and we have all been saved by grace. You are a loving God and you have been a loving God towards each and every one of us. Without exception, those whom you have saved, you have raised to be alive together with Christ. You've seated us with him And without exception, we will all one day see and appreciate more fully your kindness towards us in the gospel. As we see these verses as part of a broader argument toward unity, may we allow these truths to take full effect in our lives. Lord, humble us. Humble our pride that we would ponder the gospel and run towards love for one another. We would ponder the gospel and joyfully lay down our lives for the benefit of one another, striving for unity, knowing that you take great pleasure in it. It is where so much of our joy is to be found. creates a wonderful and powerful testimony to the world. Be glorified. In this church, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You're listening to Timeless Truth Today. Pastor Paul points us to new language from the Apostle Paul as he speaks about the wonders of the gospel. In verses 5 and 6 of our passage, the Apostle tells believers that they have been made alive together with Christ, and he has raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. These are present day realities with every Christian. We are alive right now with Christ together with our fellow believers. Hallelujah. 
If you want to learn more about being in unity with God and other believers, come to TimelessTruthToday.org. Select Broadcasts, and there you'll find an abundance of teaching to help you. Timeless Truth Today is a teaching ministry of Pastor Paul Twiss, a listener-supported outreach of Bethany Bible Church in Thousand Oaks, California. If you're in the area this weekend and don't have a local church you call home, worship with us Sundays at 10.30 a.m. The church is located at 200 West Bethany Court in Thousand Oaks. Here's a reminder, the name of this program and our website is changing. Come Monday, this very same program will be called Beholding Christ, and our website changes to beholdingchrist.org. Join us tomorrow for part six in our series, By Grace Through Faith, from Ephesians chapter two with Pastor Paul Twiss. I'm Matt Williams. Thank you for listening.